Okay, I better put my glasses on, hadn't I? So I'm Clive, I'm one of the elders here, and it's my great pleasure to start a new series. And through the summer, what we thought we'd do is do something slightly more uh, unusual um, and speak from a book. And it's our very own Andrew Wilson's book called God of All Things. It's a cracking book. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderfully easy to read, but don't let that fool you. It's very profound. What Andrew does is take words from the Bible, which are um, very familiar words, and he just speaks about them for about two or three, four pages. And things like, words like, the words you find in the Bible, like flowers, wind, water, bread, trumpets, fruit, viruses, cities, lights, clothes, and so on. And uh, we div it up what we wanted to speak about uh, during the summer break. And I have chosen trees, okay? Because trees in the Bible are just everywhere. They're right at the very beginning. And there's a tree right at the very end of the Bible as well. And all the way through the Bible, you've got amazing references to trees and I'm going to unpack that a little bit this morning but first of all let's read about an extremely significant tree which starts um, it actually starts way back in the garden but it becomes a tree that becomes a little bit of a curse so I think if you can stick with me just follow this through we'll start in Deuteronomy and here we are so Deuteronomy chapter 21 just want to read you this bit and so if a man This is back in Jewish law. If you've got someone who's done something punishable by death, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is to be put to death and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Already, the the quick ones amongst you are saying, I know where he's going with this. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And then we pick it up a bit further on into the New Testament. Thanks, Sarah. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. And Paul is picking up on the Deuteronomy and saying, the Deuteronomy verse, and saying, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law back in Deuteronomy by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And again, it's just to ram the point home that this is an incredibly special tree in inverted commas let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 to 25 so it goes like this for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you may follow in his steps he committed no sin was neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls isn't that amazing old to new let me just pray i'm just going to pray for live stream people as well now hello live stream people just uh, there's a wonderful lady who's 88 called uh, called Isabel. She lives in Ricelip. She's one of our most faithful members of our congregation. Hi, Isabel. And there's also our very own Dave Thorpe. 
I don't think he's with us today. Come on, Dave. You're not watching the cricket highlights, are you, Dave? <laughs> you, should be, you should be watching here. I'm sure he is. But you've got a live stream audience here from all over the world. This is amazing. We are an amazing church. Lord, I pray that the words that I've just read will sink deep into people's hearts, that they will understand the mystery of what we're talking about. This is an extraordinary mystery, and it's all about trees. And Lord, I pray now for the eyes of our hearts to be opened and for us to live in the goodness of what we have just read. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what's the most mentioned living thing in the Bible? Well, hey, you've got a clue for me already. The most mentioned living thing in the Bible are trees, other than people. Okay, so people are the most obviously mentioned thing in the Bible, person in the Bible. But trees are mentioned more than any other aspect of creation. And here's a thought, they're the only living thing that God gives a ring to on, on its birthday. Think about it. Okay, you got it? So all major characters and events had a tree marking the spot. So you remember that God made Abraham at the great oak of Moreh in Shechem in Genesis 12. And the same place where Joshua assembles the people entering, having entered the promised land, he meets them by a tree. And one day in the future, we are going to meet God by a tree. It's called the tree of life. And uh, Genesis 2 is fascinating because actually it tells you that when God creates this beautiful garden, Eden, in chapter 2, verse 9, the first thing that God plants in Eden, and that's before, if you look it up in chapter 2, before any bush or any vegetation, he puts in the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before anything else is put in, God loves trees. And he says that not just were they good for fruit to sustain Adam and Eve, but they were pleasing to look at. I mean, can can I just tell you, I'm a cereal tree hugger, okay? I just love trees, and that's why I picked this out of this fantastic book, because actually trees are so beautiful and they are so clever. Did you realise that trees communicate, that they share water through a network of roots? that actually they send distress signals out about drought and disease. And they, if insects attack them, they alter their behaviour when they receive these messages from each other. They are very clever creatures. And um, can we have slides um, four and five up now? This is my, this is my bucket list. Look, just indulge me for a few seconds before I get to Galatians, okay? But actually, here's my bucket list. This beautiful, beautiful avenue. Anyone know where this is from? It's Morondava in Madagascar, and it looks west. It's the west of the island of Madagascar. This is called the Avenue of the Baobabs. And look what God's created, upside down trees. Looks like the roots are sticking out of the ground. And and yet these beautiful creatures look look even more amazing. Have we got one of sunset as well? Oh, that's on my bucket list. I am going to Morondava, Gillian. Okay, so check it out. Okay, this is it. Because the... The Bible, thanks, seems to personify them. They have kind of human characteristics. It says that they clap their hands and they shout for joy. And if you look in Judges chapter 9, there's a weird thing going on where they seem to argue with each other. If you know Judges 9, the olive tree and the fig tree seem to be having a conversation. What's that all about? God loves trees. Why are trees missing from our sermons? Spurgeon spoke many a time on trees. I've listed a few. Christ the tree of life, the cedars of Lebanon, the apple tree in the woods, the beauty of the olive tree. But I want to home in on those two hugely significant trees, the tree of life, 
which to me speaks of humanity's connection with eternity. My very existence is bound up in the tree of life. That's what God put there and then put me there in the garden, metaphorically. It's about the significance of my life. And then he plants the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that represents my human actions and my conscience and eventually my rebellion. And he puts it there to say, you are free, Clive. Follow me, trust me. Don't go your own way. I put that tree there because actually in the end, what I want to do is I want to bind all men over to disobedience that I might have mercy on them all. And somewhere in the mystery of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I've got to find my way through on this. But I thank God those two trees are there. They they give such significance to my life. And um, let's not forget that Jesus the boy and Jesus the man worked with wood. He had a relationship with trees. Jesus the carpenter. Can we look, Sarah, at that beautiful picture? Look at that. That's a painting by Georges de Latour. And he he paints this picture called Christ in the carpenter's shop. And if you look a little more closely at this, it's a very, uh, don't sidetrack me, brain, because this is a very clever technique in, in painting called chiaroscuro, which means uh, light dark. And how to get that effect of light shining on Joseph's face as his father and Christ the child holding the candle. And look at what seems to be at the foot of that picture. It looks like a cross beam. And it prefigures what Christ's gonna go through for you and me. And he's looking at his father and wondering. He's working with wood. And the Bible has these amazing connections with trees. Can we go to the next slide? Let's, let's just go look at this. This is perhaps what Jesus touched with his hand. Anyone know where this is? This is, yeah, this is the Mount of Olives. There's an olive tree we're looking at now. Maybe he just fingers a leaf of the olive tree and he thinks to himself there's going to come one day when the Gentiles are going to be grafted in to Israel, the olive tree, and there's going to become a one new humanity. He walks down into the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And perhaps that's the last tree that he saw before he met the tree of the cross. I can't go, there are 36 different types of tree mentioned in the scriptures. Let me list a few. The cedars of Lebanon, the cypress, ebony, juniper, apple, date palm, willow, almond, balsam, myrrh. What was the, what was the ark made of? Anyone know what wood the ark was made of? Oh, you are tree huggers. Come on, gopher. Yeah, that's right. So all sorts of different woods that there are. And um, Let me remind you of what trees do because this is what we are to do. We're to copy the trees. What do trees do? They do four things. One, they bend to the light. Whatever else you're going to do this morning, would you please bend to the light that you find in Jesus? The second thing they do is they put down roots. Are you putting your roots down in the Bible, in fellowship, in receiving the Holy Spirit? in worship, are you putting your roots down? You're continuing to plant your life in the church and amongst your Christian friends. The third thing they do is they bring forth fruit. You are called to be like a tree, to bend to the light, to put down roots, to bring forth fruit. And the the fourth thing I think the trees do is they make you think long-term. So if you've ever planted a tree, they don't grow that quickly, do they? 
I just I feel there's a special verse for someone here today. It's almost a word of knowledge. There's a bit in Job chapter 14 where it says this, for there is hope for a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. So we're not feeling cut down this morning. So anyone feel, here feel they've lost their hope? Even if you feel cut down, you will sprout again. Who is that for today? I feel that's for someone here today. You're going to sprout again. You may feel completely cut down, but you've seen those elm trees that you know have been destined for, you know, across Eastbourne, but then they start to grow up out of the tarmac, don't they? Let's look at one more. Indulge me. One more picture. Okay, that is the oldest living resident of Sussex. That amazing yew tree is where? Wilmington Churchyard. It's 1,600 years old. So if we go back to AD 623, 1,600 years ago, that tree propped up on those sleepers was alive when Mohammed was spreading across North Africa and Arabia. I looked for which king was in England in AD 623 and it was King Edwin of Northumbria who was knocking six bells out of other Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. <laughs> and uh, it was the end of Roman Britain and this tree watched it all. It's the establishing of the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms of Kent and Northumbria and the weird bunch of people called the South Saxons, also known as people of Sussex. We got any South Saxons here? I think we may have, yeah. And this tree watched those ancient drovers' roads like the South Downs Way being carved across the chalk uplands. And it heard the battles with noisy neighbours, the Wessex tribe. Now, why am I showing you that? It's because you get that last point I made about thinking long-term. Because God puts the notion of living long-term on a vast scale into our hearts when we look at that picture. The yew tree calls me to look to heaven and to eternity. This yew tree is just a few miles from here and it's instructing me. It's telling me in all its ancient beauty about life after death. Did you know that in medieval times, they took a sprig of that yew tree and as the coffin came out of the church in Wilmington, they put the sprig of yew on the top of the coffin. Why? Because it was a symbol of eternity because this tree seemed like it was living forever. The afterlife. And do you know what? Jesus, the carpenter, is still at work. He has made a new wooden door. It's quite narrow. It's of an unusual design. It's made of two planks of wood. There's a horizontal plank and there's a vertical plank. And there's no way to unlock this door but by a strange action. And that action is applying Jesus's blood to those two crossed pieces of wood. And then you apply Jesus's precious blood to your own life for forgiveness and being made right in God's eyes. I believe there are a few people here today who want to make a deep commitment to Jesus. This is your morning. You're meeting the cross today. You're meeting the tree of life that promises you eternal life, but you need to go via this narrow door that Jesus has made. Jesus the carpenter has made this beautiful door. When the blood of Jesus is applied to this door, something beautiful happens. The door opens. The doorway to heaven opens. 
There is no other way to unlock this door but by, by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And you might have thought that Jesus has had enough of, of trees after his crucifixion. Not at all. Because when he's resurrected, where does he turn up? He turns up in a garden on Easter Sunday. And you know, it makes me think about the fact that this is the garden tomb, but now everything is changed because Jesus has come back from the dead. It's like he's walking into the new version of Eden. He goes back to a garden. He's kind of gone back to Genesis 2. And in this garden on Easter Sunday, he is mistaken for the gardener. The carpenter is mistaken for the gardener. And this is Jesus, the new Adam. He's coming back to accomplish what the old Adam in the old garden, Eden, failed to establish. To care for the garden, to care for the trees, to care for the kingdom of animals and flora and fauna. The true Adam is Jesus, the son of God, who is now saying, follow me and become the true sons of my father in heaven. And what, what have we done here at King's? We have planted a tree. This is a tree. This is like a tree of life. And you know what? We've planted a tree. And who knows how long this tree's life has got? What's the longevity of King's Church Eastbourne? All churches have a lifespan. Some go off through centuries, millennia. What's the lifespan of this church before we, we change it and, and maybe break the paradigm or break the format and do something different? How long have we got? We said that trees make you think long-term, but it's slow growth, building a church of such beauty. And I look around at you and there is something of great beauty when you are growing to maturity. It is a beautiful thing. And then you are given away as mature saints to touch an aching world. And there's something beautiful about your growth. You're being nurtured. Your roots are going down deep. There's something so wonderful here. It, makes, it reminds me of another uh, favourite um, flora of mine. That's the grapevine. Think of Rathfinney just, just down the road. That hedge fund manager had an amazing vision. He buys 800 hectares of land on the south slopes of the South Downs. He spends a small fortune or a big fortune on it. And then he waits for the vines to grow. And now, 10 years later, he gets the yield for his vision. It's slow growth. Your life is slow growth. Sometimes you want to kind of circumvent, you want to, you want to jump beyond that which God is taking you through at the moment. Well, I'm sorry, it's slow growth. Fruit, an apple doesn't go boom. Oh, I've appeared on an apple tree. An apple tree takes a little while to grow. The fruit, the fruit takes a while to grow in your life. So we keep building and establishing King's Church and we're going to plant new trees, amen? We're going to put some new ones out there, but it comes with patience and steady growth. Now, at the end of the Bible, let's home in on that now, on this tree of life, the cross. There is one tree that stands out, and Andrew has written this in his wonderful book. This is the chapter on trees. He says this, There is one tree, and one tree only, whose fruit is bountiful enough to feed the world and whose leaves are sufficient to heal the nations. I think John has a tree in mind and it is one he encountered himself, staring at it for six terrible hours that must have seemed like months, the tree of Calvary. 
And so we bring all those passages together now, the Deuteronomy passage, if you hang on a tree as a criminal, you're cursed. In Galatians, a reminder that you, you are cursed by the law if you're hanging on a tree. And again, Peter saying the same thing. And so let's remind ourselves that in Jewish law, if you were hanged on a tree as a criminal, you had to be taken down by sunset. That was the law. How amazing it is that Joseph of Arimathea asks for Jesus' body. They take his body down before sunset. You think the Bible is disjointed? You're so wrong. You're so wrong. His body is taken down. What is happening on that cross, that tree? Jesus is becoming a curse for us, just as the Deuteronomy law stated. He is cursed by God. Why? He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing to deserve death. What's going on? He's hanged on a tree anyway. He's taking the curse of my wrongdoing and he's freeing me from it in the process of hanging on the cross. So in other words, he has voluntarily and deliberately taken my place of greatest accursedness because of my wicked heart. Come on, don't, don't kid yourself. You know there are dark thoughts in every human heart, really dark thoughts. There's godliness in our hearts and we need to change by the cross. And the depth of the shame of that cross, beggars believe. This isn't some pretty tree. This is an accursed death. The, the cross, the Romans were clever because when they invented crucifixion, or I don't know if they actually invented it, but they certainly practised it, it's designed to reduce you to subhuman. It's to eliminate you from the human race. You become like an insect. You become like scum of the earth, stripped, lost all your dignity, You've been beaten and whipped and scourged before you get on the cross. And this is an agonising, unimaginable death. Complete degradation. That, I mean, I, you know, I could talk for a long time about that, but I don't want to. The gospel writers don't linger in Christ's crucifixion. But God's son submits to the utmost extreme humiliation. And so I think it's amazing that the early Christians proclaimed a crucified Messiah because you know, they would have, the, the Roman world would have found the whole message appalling. But the cross, although it's the ultimate symbol of shame, it is the heart of the Christian message. Isn't that amazing? Talk about topsy-turvy. It runs completely counter to the idea of religion at that time. Educated people found it deeply, deeply offensive. That you, this is God on the cross? You're kidding. Can we have slide number nine? This is a, an amazing quote from this book. Christmas is coming. Okay, let me just big this book up. It's called Crucifixion by a magnificent woman writer called Fleming Rutledge. And Fleming Rutledge has written some superb books. It's a big book, but it is very readable. I'm working my, I think, well, I've actually finished it now, but I've been, it took me months to work my way through this. This is, what I think, one of the best books I've ever read about understanding the cross. And she says this, to think that the son of God, son of the one true God, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of the world, had to appear in out-of-the-way Galilee as a member of the obscure people of the Jews and even worse, had died the death of a common criminal on the cross could only be regarded as a sign of madness. The real gods of Greece and Rome could be distinguished from mortal men by the very fact that they were immortal. They had absolutely nothing in common with the cross as a sign of shame." 
ask myself, why, Lord? Why did it come to this? Why did it take this? I think we just have to do a complete rethinking of what religion's all about. Religion, this isn't religion. This is about meeting a person who went to a cross. It's about encountering a man on a cross. It's about entering into relationship with the lover of your soul. The cross is deeply threatening to each one of us because it's so in your face as a shocking thing because it challenges challenges you to think what's actually going on here. Let me just sum it up like this. There is no other mode of execution that would have been appropriate with the extremity of humans' condition under sin. That's a serious thing I'm saying. That's how serious our condition was before the living God by our rebellion in the garden. It took the cross for there to be a commensurate sacrifice that would wash away our sin. And Jesus has exchanged his God being God for godlessness. Or I like to think of it like this, that somehow his body absorbs the curse of the law. This is amazing grace. This is true love. Jesus lays down his life for me. My deliverance has got to come from outside the world. Uh, The way C.S. Lewis put put it is that um, I am a rebel who must lay down his arms. And some of you have got to do that this morning. You've got to lay down your arms. You've been fighting God. He's been just whispering into your life. He's been saying to you, you know I'm there. You feel like I'm in the background of your life. I'm like that nagging gentle voice in the back of your head well I'm here today says Jesus to you and this is an opportunity for you to bow the knee to me in view of my great love for you each one of us is powerless to save ourselves from the effects the corrosive and toxic effects of sin sin is an alien power and the son of God purposefully absorbs all that sadistic and inhumane impulse that lies in a human heart he draws it all into himself and what does it do it smothers him it kills his body his human nature has absorbed all that toxicity of sin and it kills him and then we realize the ending is so sweet and so glorious that the place where curses are carried is the same place where curses are broken Jesus, by being nailed to a tree of death, turns a tree of death into the tree of life. And this tree of life, aka the cross, makes its appearance at the end. In the very last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22, this cross is not dead wood. It's life-giving tree covered in fruit and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And this tree bears fruit which appear every month. What's the month this month? We're still in July. There are are leaves of this tree there for the healing in the month of July. And we want them today for you and me. You need to be healed emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes, bless God, physically before you die and then get your perfect body. So shall we ask for a praegustatum now, a foretaste, Shall we ask for a foretaste of the fruit of the tree, the cross? We've got plenty of time now. I want the Holy Spirit to come in power now. 
I want to pick a leaf from this tree. And I might want it for myself, might want it for someone else. Is there someone else that you want to take a, you pluck a leaf from this tree and give it to someone here in this lovely congregation? Or is it a tree leaf that you pluck and you put it in your pocket and you're going to give it to someone else outside this church? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I love the way the Bible ends. It ends even after the tree reference. The spirit and the bride are working together and they say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So we're going to be in tandem with the Holy Spirit now. We're going to work with the Holy Spirit to ask Jesus to come amongst us again. And I'm just going to wait. Just going to wait. So let's remain seated. What I love about having a bit of time is that we can go deeper. You are made in the image of God. and You're precious in his sight. And all those struggles and fights you've had, even coming here today, Jesus wants you to lay them down now. Lay it down. It's too heavy for you. You can't carry it. You can't carry it. You're not meant to. He carries you. He's the good shepherd. So we're just going to wait now. Ask the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us all. Some of you are feeling already like weeping. Some of you are beginning to say, sorry, Lord. And some of you are beginning to feel his love all over again. What a blessed place that is. A blessed place. All that we are trying to do here at King's is to bring each one of us into the presence of God. come back to our creator, our father and to live the life that we were always meant to live life in him now let's do something brave here if you know that you want to say Jesus I want you to be my lord and Clive you're talking to me my heart is thumping and I know I need to make a commitment and to bend the knee to Jesus and give him my life and say sorry for being a rebel and now I lay down my arms. If that's you, just put your hand up. Just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's several people putting their hands up. This is a beautiful moment. This is so precious. We're dealing with life, death and eternity. This ain't no game. This is serious and joyful and thrilling and amazing. So in your own heart, if you put your hand up, just pray and let the rest of us help 
those people who put their hand up. Lord Jesus, let's say it together, shall we? Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the times I don't trust you. I'm here humbled by your love. And Lord Jesus, I reach out to you. Forgive me afresh. I receive your life-giving love. And I come gladly into your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're not hurrying on. I love these moments. Presence of God is here. Some of you are feeling a sort of a strange weight upon your shoulders or a sort of a stillness. You're feeling a strange feeling of, it's like a weight, it's lovely. You're feeling you can't really move. Some of you are feeling a little warmth. Some of you are having thoughts coming into your mind that have been buried deep. And God's dealing with those with you right now. Father, we're here for you. Thank you, Lord. Now we pray, Lord, that you will Fill this lovely church, which is a tree of life, with your Holy Spirit, that we might go from here in the power of your name, that we might have the sweetest words to explain the gospel to our neighbours and friends, to choose the right moment. Father, I pray for every single person in this room that they will find ways that are just right for them to talk about you to their friends. Father, equip your church for ministry again afresh in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, I feel what we should do is do what happens at the end. So Caleb and the band, could you come back? I think we should join with the Holy Spirit and say, come Lord Jesus. I think the Spirit and the bride, you're the bride, say, come Lord Jesus. Shall we, shall we work with the Holy Spirit and invite Jesus to come more powerfully to us as a church that we might be a, an amazing sign and wonder? I think we should cooperate now with him and sing and worship Jesus so that he's more glorified in this room. Who knows what he will do? He will break out left and right because he's the Lion of Judah. 
I think we need to worship and again, just give our hearts afresh for the next few moments and say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, the tree of life's there at the end, which is just the beginning of all things, the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. So let's hasten the day with our worship now, shall we? Amen. Shall we stand together? I'll hand back to Martin now and the band. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.